With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is True News, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today is Friday, December 8, 2023. International alliances in World War III continue to solidify in preparation for all-out war. Days ago, Russian President Putin made a surprise visit to Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Yesterday, Iran's President Ibrahim Raisi flew to Moscow to meet Mr. Putin. Doc Burkhardt and I have the latest World War III news updates for you as mankind descends into darkness in the end of 2023. I don't know any other way to put it, Doc. I don't like talking this way, uh, but we are descending into darkness. Yes. Genocide is being practiced, being carried out, and it's being led by artificial intelligence, and hardly anybody is talking about it. At least in the West, hardly anyone is talking about it. But there are people in the rest of the world that are talking about it and are, by all appearances, looking to make plans in response to it. And that's what I see happening here. So as we told you several days ago, Vladimir Putin made a surprise visit to Saudi Arabia, met with Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, then flew to the United Arab Emirates, met with the sheikh of the UAE, and then went back to uh, Moscow. Yesterday, the president of Iran made a visit to Moscow. And uh, what we see here on the video is uh, uh, Ibrahim Raisi uh, arriving at the Moscow airport, being greeted by Russian officials, taken to the Kremlin to meet with Vladimir Putin. Doc, the, the meeting with Putin lasted until midnight. Yes. Which, that in itself says that the two men were engaged in very deep discussions that they um, could not break off the meetings until midnight. Uh, we've got some information here about the meeting. This is Reuters. Uh, Iranian President Risi accused the West on Thursday of supporting genocide by Israel against Palestinians in Gaza at the start of talks in Moscow with Vladimir Putin. Yes, as part of a burst of meetings focused on the Middle East, uh, Mr. Putin greeted Risi in the Kremlin a day after visiting the UAE and Saudi Arabia, where he discussed the war in Gaza and the war in Ukraine and efforts by Russia and OPEC to boost oil prices. Now look at the next one, Doc. Yes. In televised opening remarks, neither leader referred to their country's growing military cooperation, a source of concern for the United States, which says Iran is supplying Russia with weapons to use against Ukraine. 
Putin said it was very important to discuss the situation in the Middle East, especially in the Palestinian territories. Racy responded via translator, what is happening in Palestine and Gaza is, of course, genocide and a crime against humanity. He said it was even more sad that this was supported by the United States and the West. Um, Doc, whenever world leaders meet, um, uh, any time that, that, that you meet a person of importance and power and influence, how, how you leave that meeting, there, there are, there's body language, there's, there are yes. visual images, there are optics that tell you how important the person who met you considered the meeting. Yes. And, and so what we're going to see here in this, this next video is that at midnight, Vladimir Putin personally walked the Iranian president through the Kremlin and took him outside to the car that was waiting for him. Now, that in itself says that the two men had very productive conversations. Yes. And that their alliance, their friendship was deepening. You see the snow falling there at midnight in Moscow. Um, you see President Putin smiling as well. Yes. And so, and that to me that tells me that there, they made a deal yes they made a deal there was some progress made of some kind uh, what that entails we're likely to find out here within the next few days or weeks because as uh, we as Reuters reported it seems that the focus of this meeting primarily really we all know what it was really about it was about gaza as gaza as, and ukraine right because so, uh, because iran is supplying missiles and drones to Russia for Ukraine. Ukraine is a very, uh, Russia, I mean, uh, Iran has played a very important role in Russia's military operations in Ukraine. So there is a military alliance between the two nations. And um, the question is, what did they decide about Gaza? Will Iran enter the war? Will Iran give the green light to Hezbollah in Lebanon to attack Israel? And will Russia provide the cover, air cover, nuclear cover, for Iran to participate in that? I mean, that's that's really the question that we're asking here. And did was the, was the purpose of the meeting, by the way, Mr. Putin made the remark to President Risi, he said, when I left Saudi Arabia and the UAE, I flew over Iranian airspace yes. and I thought about landing in Tehran and meeting you. And the Iranian president said, well, you should have. I would have welcomed you. So then we see the Iranian president flying the very next day to yes. Moscow. That tells me, Doc, that whatever was discussed and whatever was agreed upon in Riyadh and in Dubai, right. that Mr. Putin was in a hurry to call the Iranian president and say, we've got something in the works. I think what's in the works is an Arab military alliance backed by Russia, with Russia supplying nuclear warheads to Arab countries. I think that's what's coming.
it's going to be a Russian-led NATO in the Middle East, not a U.S.-led military alliance. It's not going to be called NATO. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, a military alliance. I think that I think Putin is putting together a military alliance for the Middle East, and he's promising nuclear weapons. He's not going to give it to them. He's going to say, I will put Russian nukes in your country. I mean, that's what the U.S. and the U.K. do with the NATO countries. Yes. They just with park nuclear weapons Russian all over NATO. nuclear bombers. Yes. And any country that has a port, there'll be Russian nuclear armed submarines there. And some of them actually have the missiles <laughs> in actual silos like Turkey does. Yes. So, well, so we, at least we think they do. I, I think we will hear a big announcement in the coming weeks. It might be to the first of the year, but I think a major announcement is going to come. And, it, and it's, it's, this isn't about just selling Russian wheat. Uh, this isn't about the price of oil. This is a military alliance, but also the BRICS economic alliance is in this. And all this is tied together as there's a separation from the West. Yes. A break with the Rothschild-controlled economic system of the West, the banking system out of London and New York. They're going to break with it. And the Arabs are going to walk away from being tied to the Rothschilds. And the, but the thing that, that prevents them from doing it is a military umbrella because the U.S. Supri supplies them with that military umbrella. Correct, yes. But in order to have the military covering, you have to be tethered to the Rothschild banking system. So they want to get away from the Rothschilds, but they have to have a big daddy that protects them. And that's what I think Putin is offering. I think he's saying, I'm willing to put Russian military bases in the Middle East. And that includes nukes. And the question is, is Russia encouraging the Arab countries to take action in Gaza? Because they all know if they do anything to stop the Israeli genocide, Israel will use their weapons of mass destruction against the Arab countries. Real weapons of yes, mass real destruction. Weapons. Yes. They know it. So they're not doing anything because of the nukes, because of the biological warfare viruses. They're afraid of Israel. Yet at the same time, they're disgusted. They're, they're furious about what Israel is doing. And they, they feel impotent that they can't intervene and pressure Israel because Israel has the capability of crushing them through weapons of mass destruction. Well, you, the only way to counter that threat is to have a partner who also has weapons of mass destruction. To balance it out. Who has a lot more than Israel. That's what I think is coming. And we'll see in, in the coming weeks if anything like that takes place. Um, one other uh, story out of Russia, Vladimir Putin has announced that he is running for re-election in the 2024 Russian elections. They will be held uh, in um, the month of March. And we've got some video. Uh, this is uh, apparently he uh, made the announcement as he was talking to Russian uh, military commanders. Yes. And uh, that was the way that he... Um, 
casually told the world that he was running for re-election. So it looks like we're going to see Mr. Putin in office for, what, another six years? Yes. I think it's a six-year term that will take him up to... 2030. 2030. There's that year. Magic year. Next story is from RT. Joe Biden reveals surprise NATO drawdown in Europe. Some 80,000 U.S. troops are currently stationed in Europe in a bid to contain Russia amid the Ukraine conflict, down from 100,000 deployed last year, according to a letter sent to Congress by President Biden on Thursday. In a document addressed to the Speaker of the House and the Senate President Pro Tem, Mr. Biden provided an overview of the current position of U.S. military forces across the globe. The article from RT says approximately 80,000 U.S. armed forces personnel are assigned or deployed to NATO, NATO countries, uh, to deter further Russian aggression, according to the letter. But here's what's important here. In June of 2022, there were more than 100,000 U.S. troops in Europe. Right, and and we deployed an additional 20. So Biden has been quietly reducing the number of U.S. troops in NATO countries. And yet, Doc, I remember um, they made an announcement that NATO troops were on high alert Um you know, they had 300,000 NATO troops on standby for war with Russia. But quietly, Biden has actually been drawing down U.S. troops. U.S. troops. Why? Um, the only thing I can think of is maybe there's some policy in place to put the responsibility for protecting Europe on, on NATO troops based in Europe. That, that's the only thing that comes to my mind, Rick. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, what would be the motivation? Money. The U.S. is going broke. We've spent so much money in Ukraine that yes. we can't afford to keep uh, troops in Europe? Yes. <laughs> that, that, that day is coming, you know, that, that day when the United States government is just flat broke, that it can't make more Money just appear magically. We're we're moving towards the day of reckoning, and I think that they're they're slowing down on their military spending. Ukraine's not getting the money that they wanted. They're not getting the the, the weapons that they wanted. Um, where did where did Mr. Biden put the troops? Did he move them to Asia or places in the Middle East? Possible. That's that's possible. Also, look at this next story, though. This is <laughs> this is a NATO, this is RT. Also, NATO nation practices burying their soldiers. The Norwegian military is practicing burying soldiers and coping with the loss of life of the grim battlefield realities of Ukraine. Local media reported on Thursday. Yeah, the Makarov uh, training was part of Army exercises at the Cedarone firing range in the county of Troms in the northern part of the country, according to an article by Norwegian broadcaster NRK. 
And while the service members are involved in practicing sharp acts of war, they are also paying attention to the mental aspect of fighting, which includes field burials. As part of the drill, some soldiers also pretend to be wounded and assist their incapacitated comrades. One photo shared by the outlet, apparently taken in the summer, shows a squad of Norwegian soldiers standing over a fresh grave with an improvised wooden cross. And another one taken in the winter depicts an injured service member lying on his back in the snow, apparently waiting to be pulled out. So they're practicing dying, Rick, and burying. This is, I don't recall ever reporting a story like that. And, you know, I I was in the service. Mm -hmm. You know, I spent a couple years on active duty. And so I don't ever remember having any training on burying burying somebody. Now, the Army, or at least the Army back then, had a whole department or, you know, Mm -hmm. that specialized in that. So, But the average soldier, you know, that didn't come up in general conversation about what do you do? Uh, You bury your comrade or bury your enemy. So... Uh, so I can't recall that, and I, I could be corrected, and we've got some other members on staff here that uh, were full-time too, but I, you know, I can't recall a single instance of any kind of training like that. So, Doc, we've, in these two stories, uh, the U.S. is withdrawing troops from NATO in Europe. Right. But that implies that they're being redeployed someplace else for a bigger war or maybe a more— uh, imminent war. Maybe the U.S. is... Uh, or a more sellable war. Yes, one that's more sellable, um, easily promoted, which would be Israel. But you also have the Taiwan uh, yes. situation. But the other story is that you have Norway, who is uh, teaching its soldiers how to bury their own comrades who will be killed on the battlefield in a battle with Russia. So that that's a sobering story. That 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 implies that European military and political leaders are saying we've got to get real about this. This thing's going to get ugly very soon. Right. And we've seen other stories in the past month or two where NATO leaders said they are preparing for all-out war with Russia. So um, I, I don't think that. That the war with Russia has has lessened, the threat of all-out war has lessened. This tells me that it actually the threat is increasing. It's just that both sides are are trying to figure out how long they can last before they go to war. That's really what it's. That's all really about. what it's down to, because both sides are preparing for the war and keeping an eye on the other side. To see if they're if they're ready. Neither side is ready, but neither side knows when the other side will be ready. That's right. So the moment one side is ready, that's when the war starts, and that's why they're watching each other to see if if the other opponent is acting like they're ready. But when you see troops being taught how to bury dead soldiers, then you know this thing is getting very serious. And uh, they are expecting mass casualties in a conventional war on the European continent. But it won't stay conventional very long. Uh, Going to the Middle East, 
This is a story that few people are watching. Um, Iraqi resistance targets U.S. bases in Syria and Iraq. Now, the Iraqi resistance force is it's a uh, it's a large militia group in Iraq that has um, somewhat legal support of the Iraqi government. And other, in other words, the militia is so big that the Iraqi government isn't going to Challenge. tell it what it can do. Right. Too many men with guns. It's not the official Iraqi army. But the Iraqi army doesn't want to tangle with the Iraqi resistance forces. So this is Iraqi resistance forces targets U.S. bases in Syria. And uh, it's it said the Islamic resistance in Iraq targeted the U.S. base in the Conoco field in Syria. Now, the Conoco field, it, I, I didn't know Syria had a region called Conoco. Well. That's the region Conoco runs. Oh, the, so the Conoco oil like company. Conoco and Exxon yes. and Mobil and Shell. Yes. So now Syria has states called Exxon. <laughs> you may as well. That's what it's about. And American they, oil companies went in and stole Syrian land and Syrian oil. And we have American used, troops yes. there to protect American oil companies as they steal the oil. In Syria. In Syria. Against the wishes of the Syrian government and the Syrian people. It's outright thievery. And nobody talks about it. And it was Donald Trump who started it. Yes. And was very proud of the fact that he sent American troops to Syria to steal their oil. He, he thought that was just marvelous. Now, the Iraqi resistance is saying the reason why they're doing this right now is in response to what's happening in Gaza. It says, in response to the crimes committed by the enemy against our people in Gaza, the fighters of the Islamic resistance in Iraq targeted the American occupation base in the Iconical oil field with a missile barrage hitting its targets directly. And in a subsequent statement, the resistance announced the targeting of the U.S. occupation base in uh, western Iraq with a missile barrage as well, confirming a direct hit on its target there. And so, Doc, I, I've, been, uh, I've been following what's coming out of um, the Iraqi resistance forces. I don't have a lot of knowledge about it. I understand they have about 250,000 men. That's a significant That's a sizable force. army. I, I've been told by Arabs that that those soldiers in Iraq are ready to invade Israel to fight for the Gazans. But they're they're being held back, waiting on the signal that the all-out war with Israel is on. What they announced this week is that to support the Palestinians, they're going to start attacking Americans in Iraq and Syria. And so this is putting Joe Biden on notice that he's going to have to send more troops to the Middle East. Right. Like Biden's going to have to send American soldiers to Syria. He's going to have to beef, beef up. The, the presence of American troops that are illegally in Syria, 
in order to defend the troops who are defending Conoco. <laughs> if you can keep all that straight. But the at the base of all this is that this war is getting to be much wider now, isn't it? It is. And the fact that they're attacking uh, U.S. forces, this is a— this is forcing Joe Biden to take action. He will have to authorize the Pentagon to attack forces in Iraq and Syria. Yes, and you already hear the talking heads on radio and TV already starting to talk about this. I was listening on the way home yesterday to one of the talking head radio shows and had a guest on and said, we have to respond to these attacks going on uh, against American forces in Syria. We need to send the F-16s in and just start taking these guys out because they're going to become a force later on that we're going to have to deal with in Israel. It's all about Israel. Yeah. American foreign policy is 100 percent focused on Israel. Israel runs American foreign policy. America runs the Pentagon. We fight wars based on Israel's interests. Yes. If, if America was not Israel's stepchild, we wouldn't have military bases in the Middle East. And Arab countries would not hate us. And American soldiers wouldn't be targets because we wouldn't be there. The only reason we're there is for Israel. The animosity that's in the world towards America is 95% attributed to our support of Zionism. Yes. We could have a different foreign policy if America would divorce itself from Zionism. What I'm telling you is this. Be prepared for U.S. troops to be sent to battle in Syria and Iraq. They're going to go back to Iraq. We're going to send troops to Iraq. We're going to get that 100-year war, aren't we? Well, if you stay married to Israel, Israel is in perpetual war. But we don't have to do this. We, we could just get a divorce from Israel, and we could live in peace with the rest of the world. But America's political leaders are owned by the Zionists, and so our foreign policy is driven by the Zionists. All I'm saying to our True News audience is, in the coming weeks, expect to hear about U.S. military action in Syria and Iraq, and most likely Yemen. And that means that there will be U.S. naval strikes and uh, jet fighters carrying out bombing runs in those countries. And if that doesn't slow things down, then Biden will be forced to send ground troops into Syria and Iraq. I mean, we, we've, we've got political candidates running for president saying that Biden should be sending troops to Gaza. Yes. Anything that Israel wants, anything that backs Israel. So, And the only reason why Israel really wants Gaza is because of the gas and oil fields off the coast of Gaza. That's really the only reason. It has nothing to do with, I, you know, it really has nothing to do with greater Zion, maybe in the long-term picture. But in the short-term picture, there's, you've got to pay for Zionism. The greater Zion uh, wealth. 
Uh, I've got a, a short video here. Look, uh, we, we can't uh, verify any of these things. This is what the Iraqi resistance forces released on social media and said that these rockets were being sent to U.S. military bases in uh, Iraq. In Iraq. Yes. So that's that's what they posted. We don't know if this is accurate or not, but we we know that the bases, the, the American bases in Iraq and Syria, have been hit multiple times in recent weeks. Ever since Israel started the genocide against the Palestinians. So, Rick, who do you think is the money behind the Iraqi resistance forces? I mean, missiles aren't cheap. Ammunition's not cheap. You know, the, having the ability Iran. to muster a, a quarter million man, you know, resistance force. Iran. So. Iran. So it's an extended army of Iran. Yes. And <clears throat> the Iranian president was in Moscow yesterday. They're making the plans for the big war. <coughs> Excuse me. Jerusalem Post. Uh, Mr. Netanyahu told Hezbollah in Lebanon, if you attack us in support of the Palestinians, we will turn Beirut into Gaza. Yeah, and you've seen the pictures of Gaza. Do we need to show you again? We'll turn Beirut and all of Lebanon into rubble. What? Rubble. The entire like city. Yes. The entire city. Yesterday, the IDF announced that they had bombed 400-plus sites in Gaza. Yes, it's increasing. It's, they're not backing down. It's actually increasing right. now. But anyhow, here's the threat uh, to Hezbollah. If, if you attack, your, your, your city of Beirut will be leveled. Every child in Beirut will die because that's what's going to happen. That's what's happening in Gaza, and it'll happen in Beirut as well. This is why the, the Arabs who are furious and sickened by Israel's genocide, they feel like their hands are tied because if they try to rescue the Gazans, they know that they're going to be pulverized by Israel and that they don't have the military might to fight off Israel with weapons of mass destruction. They have to have, they have to have a big brother step in and say, if they go after you, we will clobber them. I think that's what Russia is privately telling. I think that's what Putin is telling the Middle Eastern leaders in the past several days. He's saying to them, we have to stop the genocide, and I am not going to allow Israel to bomb your cities. We will, we will bring nukes to your country if you authorize it. We will put Israel on alert. You attack Saudi Arabia, you will get nuked. If you attack the UAE, you will get nuked. I think that's what he's, he's saying to them. And he's telling them, if we don't do this, there will not be one Palestinian alive next year. We've got to do this now. You can't think about this for a year. We have to do it now. And, that, and then you have voices like Erdogan and the uh, Qatari emir, the others saying, if we don't stop this, we're next. Yes. We're next in the Greater Zion Plan. That's what they're all saying privately. 
And that's why the Russians are moving on this right now, because they see the opening to get into the Middle East and push the U.S. out. The, the only ally America will have is Israel. That's it. Our obsession with Zionism is going to completely destroy our relationships with Arab countries. Like, look what we're doing. What are we telling all the Arab countries? You get out of line, we'll do this to you too. Right. We'll back Israel. If Israel wants to attack you, we'll back them. That's the message we're sending. That Israel can carry out genocide, kill babies all day long, and the U.S. will send the bombs. So if you're an Arab leader, what message are you getting? If you mess with Israel, the United States will give them the bombs to blow you up. Right. <laughs> so you have to deal with reality, and that reality is you've got to find a new partner. And if you're willing to blow me up, we're not friends anymore. That's right. <laughs> um, we told you yesterday about how Israel was rounding up young Palestinian men, stripping off their clothes and hauling them away in army trucks to who knows where. Obviously, a killing field. They're going to be taken somewhere, shot, and put in a mass grave. Don't tell me anything else. Don't tell me, oh, they're going to... Israel is going to follow the Geneva Accords. Really? They haven't yet. Why would they start now? They're going to take these men and shoot them and put them and bury them under sand. And nobody's going to say anything about it. So I found some more video... This is uh, today. You see, these are Israeli trucks hauling away naked Palestinian men. They're being taken someplace to be executed. Now, these are by the truckload. This is a convoy of IDF trucks with Palestinian men. And once again, stripped down basically to their underwear, hauled across the desert supposedly for further interrogation by the IDF. Uh, well, uh, maybe with lead, uh, but come on. They're, they are not going to put them in some sort of prison block or some sort, of, uh, some sort of cage out in the middle of the desert. And feed them and right. clothe them and take care of them and protect them as prisoners of war. No, they're going to execute them. And nobody's going to say anything about it. And that's why at some point the Arab leaders are going to start uh, vomiting, realizing that something horrible is happening and, and they are impotent, unable to defend the Palestinians. And the only way they will be able to defend them is to partner with Russia. Right. That's it. Russia and Iran. Um, I want to show you some videos. Uh, these are videos I've been posting on my Twitter account. Uh, these are people digging out a little child. You see her hanging there? Look at her. She's just hanging in the rubble. Right. And these images can be repeated over and over and over again. We've seen the videos. Children, babies trapped in rubble. They bombed over 400 buildings yesterday. Residential buildings. Residential buildings with real people living in them. 400. If, Doc, if there's 100 people per building, 
and you bomb 400, then you know what the death toll is in one day. Um, this next uh, video is Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby justifying Israel's murder of civilians, uh, saying that the, that the uh, Israeli military is compassionately telling the Palestinians to, to go into the desert before Israel bombs their homes. Let's watch. But they have actually uh, given civilians in Gaza a list, a map. It's online. Where a, a list of areas where uh, they can go to be more safe. There's not too many modern militaries in advance of conducting operations that would actually do that. So they, they are making an effort uh, to at least inform the civilian population uh, about where to go and where, and where to avoid. That liar, that liar knows. It's online. He's a liar. Kirby's a liar. He knows that the map, and they are giving out the maps. Oh, yes. But when they send the Palestinians to a safe zone, when the Palestinians arrive there, Israel bombs them. And that is the truth. It's so true that Reuters had to pull an article about it the other day. Remember? Yes, they we did. reported. They took it down and they really took fast that within hours. Down. They took it down because it's genocide. And even more frightening, it's not a human who's deciding to trick the Palestinians to go to a zone that they showed them on a map and then bomb them. It's artificial intelligence. Yes. AI is the entity that is tricking the Palestinians. AI is coming up with plans of how to kill more Palestinians. So, Doc, what other ideas has AI generated? What other diabolical plans does AI have to reduce the population of Palestinians? I believe that, I believe that what has started in the fall of 2023 is the final solution. Israel is going to completely depopulate Palestine. Gaza and the West Bank. Yes, completely. They're going to eradicate all Palestinians, and they are banking on the belief that nobody will dare stop them. Their arrogance is so great that they do not think anybody in the world will stop them. They don't expect opposition. They, they know they're going to be called genocidal, war criminals. They know that. But no they one's going to stop them. They don't care. You can call, it, call them names all day. But a year from now, they'll have all the land. There won't be one Palestinian alive. And they don't care. The, the Israeli Zionists are demon-possessed zealots. They are demon-possessed, and they're zealots. A and you're dealing with lunatics. These are madmen. These people are just as crazy as the Nazis were in Germany. And using the same tactics. Same tactics. The very same tactics. Um, so um, I want to show you another one. Um, Oh, oh, we've got another John Kirby. Right. This, uh, this was yesterday. One, this was yesterday, and he uh, he denied he denied that Israel is deliberately killing 
Palestinian civilians and journalists. By the way, they just killed a Reuters reporter. Oh, yes. I, I saw that story. Yes. And you know what the answer was? He was in a war zone. That's what happens when you're in a war zone. But you know where he was at? He was in Lebanon. Hmm. He was in Lebanon. Not Gaza. He wasn't in downtown Gaza City. He was in Lebanon. And the Israelis killed him. Reuters demanding an explanation. And the explanation is, hey, it's a war zone. You shouldn't send your reporters to a war zone. So he was words, asked. He was asked about you know the targeting of journalists. Yeah. So let's watch. Here's John yesterday. Kirby. The CNN producer lost nine members of his family today. Uh, killing journalists. Over 60 journalists died on the ground, even in South Lebanon. They're not a target. They were clearly journalists. What, what's really happening? So if we if we call Hamas a designated terrorist group, a, a killing uh, uh, civilians. As a non-sector player, is it also Israel acting like a terror state, act, uh, killing human, humans, uh, uh, civilians, uh, unarmed people, journalists every day? So again, we don't want to see civilian casualties. And, and sorry, just one more point. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I don't know if this is going to answer your question. But Hamas. Hamas deliberately slaughtered and murdered some 1,200 people on the 7th of October. And it seems like we're all willing to forget that. Deliberately. It was their intent. And, and to take hostages. They actually, that was the purpose of the whole thing on the 7th. Now, we've been very honest with our Israeli counterparts. We want them to be careful, cautious, deliberate. We don't want to see any more civilians harmed on this. But they have a right and a responsibility to defend themselves against that very genocidal threat. Uh, and it is not the Israeli Defense Forces strategy to kill innocent people. It's happening. I admit that. Each one's a tragedy. But it's not like the Israelis are sitting around every morning and saying, hey, how many more civilians can we kill today? Let's go bomb a, let's go bomb a school or a hospital or a residential building and just and cause civilian casualties. They're not doing that. They're trying to go after Hamas. And it's a very difficult task. When Hamas, oh, by the way, in addition to deliberately slaughtering people, is deliberately hiding themselves in residential buildings, in hospitals, in tunnels, uh, making it, putting the innocent people of Gaza directly in the crossfire. Now, you tell me, is that right? Is that right? Okay. Is that less? Please. Sorry, it's a, I think we gotta move on. Yeah, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, they killed the colleague of mine. She was reporting live. She was. Thank you. Thank you. They no, I, I do believe they are targeting schools, mosques. Yes, I absolutely believe that. I mean, John Kirby can stand there all day long and say, yeah, Israel's not deliberately targeting this. No. Yes, they are. No, artificial intelligence is doing it. <laughs> we, we now have an AI war god. That's what this thing is. It's, a, it's an AI war god that is running the first artificial intelligence-directed war. And then the Israelis mockingly name it the gospel, yes, which means the good news, the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And they name their war god They're the gospel yes. just, just to laugh at Jesus Christ. They're wicked. They're diabolical. They're evil. And God is not going to allow this to continue. Um, 
We've got, uh, I think at this point, I, I want to take a break for American Reserves. I, I've got to get this message in here uh, for our sponsor. I've got a lot more uh, information I want to show you. So let's take a break. I'll be back in one minute. God's people are smarter than ants. Even ants know it's wise to store food. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. I'm Dr. Robert A. Schuler, and I'm on a mission to encourage Christian families to prepare for tough times. That's why I'm endorsing American Reserves. American Reserves can help you build a food storehouse like Joseph in Egypt. American Reserves offers emergency food packages for a month or full year, buckets of freeze-dried beef and chicken, assorted vegetables and fruits, and powdered eggs are ready for quick delivery. A panic can cause store shelves to be emptied in hours. Be wise. Be ready. Order food at AmericanReserves.com. American Reserves has a a special discount that they're offering the True News audience. I don't know how many days it's limited uh, to, uh, you know, here at the holiday season, but they are offering a 10% discount to True News supporters. And when you check out, uh, use the promo code True News. That's all you have to put in as a a promo code, True News, T-R-U-N-E-W-S, True News. And American Reserves will give you a 10% discount over the coming days. I've got to find out when this uh, discount will end, but it is in effect right now. 10% off of your order, and the promo code is True News. News. That's it. So take advantage of it. I want to show you some really shocking uh, videos. And this next one is... um, this is number 17, and this is uh, the Israeli occupation. Uh, just they, This happened yesterday, and this reporter was there just as, as, the, as the Israeli bomb hit. And you see, there's a father carrying his little baby. People are picking up their children. This is all happening in real time yesterday. This reporter was present where a rocket came in and wiped out an Israeli residential area. Look, that, that used to be a residential building where that all that rubble is at, where people are running over top the, the rubble. They're looking for the people, looking for the survivors. If you live in Gaza, you don't know if you're going to be alive an hour from now. You have no idea. Every single hour. Somebody is being blown up. If, if they're doing 400 attacks per day, how many is that per hour? That's 15 to 20 an hour. There's another man carrying carrying a family member. Look at this. Can you imagine this being you? Americans, you have no idea what it's like because we have never had war like this in America. But I'm telling you, it's coming. And it's going to come here because we have sowed the seeds of destruction. And God's word says 
God shall not be mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. And so a nation is a, a collection of men and women. And so what a nation sows, that shall it reap. And there's a day coming that all of the destruction that America has sown around the world is going to come to us in one hour. Right. And this is going to be the scene of Americans looking for their children, their mothers, their grandfathers in the rubble and saying, why isn't anybody in the world helping us? Why isn't anybody stopping it? Because America did not stop it. America provided the bombs to do this destruction. Right. And the churches in America gave it spiritual covering. It is absolutely disgusting what is taking place. This, uh, this next uh, video, uh, Herod Netanyahu the Great said that if you call Israel genocidal, that means you're anti-Semitic. Yes, he actually said that out loud. They have, think this through, because of their race, they have the right to kill babies. That's what he's saying. Because of their race, because of their Jewish race, they are entitled to slaughter babies. And if you criticize them, you're racist. Yes. <laughs> Let's watch. When the ICC investigates Israel for fake war crimes, this is pure anti-Semitism. The court established to prevent atrocities like the Nazi Holocaust against the Jewish people is now targeting the one state of the Jewish people. First, it outrageously claims that when Jews live in our homeland, this is a war crime. Second, it claims that when democratic Israel defends itself against terrorists who murder our children, rocket our cities, we're committing another war crime. Yet the ICC refuses to investigate brutal dictatorships like Iran and Syria, who commit horrific atrocities almost daily. As Prime Minister of Israel, I assure you, we will fight this perversion of justice with all our might. Hmm. Netanyahu was not born in Palestine. He's an outsider. He moved to Palestine. The European Ashkenazim infiltrated Palestine and, and used military tactics against the Arabs in the 30s and 40s until they had enough infiltrators and weapons in Palestine that they could, uh, using military might, set up a Jewish state. He knows that he is the occupier. He knows that he's the land thief. But he says, if you criticize us, yes. you're, you're a bigot. Now, the real racists are the European Ashkenazim who have taken the land from the native Palestinians and now taking their lives, killing their children in the most cruel inhumane way I have ever witnessed in, in my life. Um, if anyone else had done this, if Russia had done this, if China had done this, any other nation had done what is going on in Gaza right now, the kind of images that we see, what would they be accused of? War crimes. Tony Blair and Bill Clinton accused Yugoslavia of war crimes. In, in the battle between uh, Yugoslavia, the Serbs, and so forth. 
and NATO bombed Yugoslavia, and they erased the country. Yes. Yugoslavia no longer exists. They said, your crimes were so bad, you're not allowed to be a nation anymore. And they put a Milosevic in, in the Hague prison, and he died there. Do you recall images like this no, in the 90s? Not at all. I, I, I placed this uh, tweet on uh, the X platform last night. Look at this. Oh. Look at this father running with his burnt little boy. Is that the most... Watch this again. Look at the boy's face. This father is running with his little boy who's been burned to crisp by the Israelis. Dear God, I've... Doc, he's taking that child. You know the child's dead. He's trying to find a doctor to save his child. But the child's dead. Look, I mean, just look at the child. It's obvious. But the man, he's a desperate father. And he's running with his dead boy, burned. And he's running with him, trying to find medical help. He's in shock. The yeah. father's in shock. He can't call 911. An ambulance can't come there. No, because the, 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 the Israelis will blow up the ambulance. Right. And if you take him to the hospital, they'll blow up the hospital. I'm telling you, the, these so-called Christian Zionists in America, they're going to pay a steep price for their support. Hell is enlarging itself to receive their souls. Um, I got a couple more topics I want to talk to uh, you about before we, uh, we we take a break and go to Morning Manna. Uh, so last week there was the COP28 uh, climate change conference right. in Dubai where world leaders came together to talk about the clouds in the water. They didn't want to talk about babies burning. They wanted to talk about boiling oceans. I mean, you've got babies on fire, and world leaders went to Dubai to talk about boiling oceans. And there are no boiling oceans. It's all in their imagination. And yet, just a few hundred miles away, there were babies burning. And they didn't want to have a conference about that. They wanted to have a conference about clouds. You got it. So one of the big stories that that came out of uh, COP28, and we didn't talk about it, but I I, I, I want you to, to know that this happened. I'm going to go back. Uh, here's This is a Global Climate Action Spotlight. Faith actors. Yeah, they're acting. <laughs> they got that part right. They're actors. Faith actors, crucial role, echoes at COP28. So while COP28 was going on, there was a, a side event that was going on at the Global Climate Action Pavilion with uh, the World Council of Churches. So the World Council of Churches, General Secretary Reverend Professor Dr. Jerry Pillay delivered what they considered a powerful message on the vital role of faith actors in driving practical and impactful climate action across the globe. And uh, he's quoted as saying, in a broken and desecrated world, 
We seek right relations, reparation. There it is. And restoration. Reparation. Yes. Redistribution of Climate wealth. reparations. Yes. For the whole world. Yes. That is wealth redistribution, old-fashioned communism. This is green communism. Yes. Being directed by red communist China. Reparations. Entire nations are going to be ordered to make reparations to poor nations for damaging their environment. Right. So he went on to say that uh, the climate crisis is a moral and spiritual imperative, citing the World Council of Churches 11th Assembly statement that described the climate emergency. It's an emergency, Rick, as stemming from a fixation on profit. This as the ethical crisis requires a shift away from market-based solutions to address its root causes. The end of capitalism is what they advocate. Now, listen to what the uh, Reverend Pele called for. Uh, these are uh, part of his initiatives, the religious leaders. A fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty. <laughs> We're not going to allow gasoline and oil to proliferate in the world. We're going to have a global treaty among nations that they will eliminate fossil fuels. Going to be in a treaty, Doc. Yes. Yeah, listen to the next one. The push for an ecocide law. Oh, what's ecocide? The murder of the environment. Yes, the murder of the environment. Now, you can murder Palestinian babies. And these fake religious leaders did not call for an end to genocide in Palestine. But they want an ecocide An law. ecocide. That if, if you hurt Mother Earth, you will go to prison. Because that's what laws do. They punish people, right? Well, this would be a treaty. They also want participation in the Interfaith Rainforest Initiative for Forest Protection, whatever that is. The Interfaith Rainforest Initiative. Uh, faith communities are also engaged in land regeneration and sustainable living models. Uh, Palais concluded by saying faith is the missing piece in the climate discussions and for climate action. Our liturgies, <laughs> our humanitarian responses and sustainable practices inspire hope and drive impactful change. What he just said is church liturgies. Sermons and hymns yes. are going to be written and rewritten to celebrate Mother, to Earth. Celebrate Mother Earth, not to not to worship the creator, but to worship the creation. Yes. They're going to change liturgies in churches. One of the angels in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the three angels that encircle the earth, the first one is crying out, worship the creator. These religious leaders are saying, worship the creation. They're going to change church liturgies. They're going to deliver sermons. They're going to have hymns hmm. that promote climate change and the protection of Mother Earth. Yes. They change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature or the creation more than the creator. That's right. Wow. Well... There was a lot more to report. They had a faith pavilion at the U.N. Climate Summit, and the, the Pope 
and other religious leaders signed an interfaith declaration to participate in climate change. He invited the Pope. Yeah, the Pope was, hey, we got to go. We'll be back in a minute and we have morning manna for today. Don't go away. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hey, welcome back to True News. I want to remind you that American Reserves has a a promo special for the True News audience. If you will add True News uh, online at your uh, when you go to checkout, when it, it asks if you have a promo code, uh, just put in True News, and you will automatically get ten percent off your entire order. And I will find out for Monday how long this promo is going. I don't know. I'll have to ask and find out. But I know it's in effect right now which means it will be in effect all through the weekend. So take advantage of it. I don't know when it will end, but I'll get that information for you and tell you next Monday. But right now, as of today and throughout this weekend, there is a 10% discount at American Reserves. Enter True News at checkout, and you will get 10% off the entire order. Um, Also, I want to... Doc, do you have an update on... Our project in Ohio, we have we have this uh, dear sister in the Lord who is in very, very serious uh, living conditions. Her she lives in a a, in a camper trailer. She's in a mobile home park in Ohio. The camper is uh, really in bad shape. It's it's full of mold. Nobody should be living in it. She does not have heat in it. She's using a. Uh, a portable heater that's not safe. And we decided here at Christmas time, we're going to buy her a, a, a camping trailer. And Doc found one uh, nearby in the closest city. And uh, the dealer is giving us a good price on it. And it's roughly about $29,000. It right. uh, retails new at sixty grand, And so, uh, it's this is a repossessed model, and so we need about twenty nine thousand dollars plus. We'll need some extra to move it, move the old one, get it out of the way, put the new one in. We're paying rent on I think on on the lot. I don't know. I don't yes. recall. We're gonna, yeah, uh, you've already taken care of that. Yeah, taking you've care already of that secured too. the lot. Yes. Plus, we want to get her new things like blankets and bed linens and just. Basic things so she's not taking the old stuff that has mold spores on it and putting it in the new place. Right. It defeats the whole purpose. Yeah, it, it defeats it. So Doc and his wife Mia are going to fly there next week, next Thursday. So you'll be doing True News and Morning Mana from Ohio next yes, Friday? That's the plan right now. Okay. So, but, uh, yeah, so uh, we uh, – finalized most uh, everything yesterday as far as securing the uh, the new camper and uh, it might not hurt to show the audience if, if control has those videos of what she's living in now and uh, what we're going to uh, be putting her into so this is where she's at now this is at well, a lot in uh, central ohio and that's the camper that she's living in right now 
Well, let's uh, see the inside. Yeah, What's the inside? The inside like? is is pretty rough. So uh, the AC and heater unit there you see on the ceiling is rusted out. There's mold on the ceiling, on the walls. And you may say, well, how can anyone live like that? Well, they, this is the only place she has. She doesn't have another option. And so what we're doing is we're responding to this, and we're going to get her into something uh, much more weather-friendly and, of course, no mold that's involved with that. And so next week we're going to be uh, in, working out all the details on getting it delivered and everything over uh, the next few days. And then next week we'll be up there to help get her transition to that. I'm looking forward to sharing this story. Uh, just the few places that we've talked with up there in Ohio that we said, this is what we're doing. They said, well, let us know what else we can do to help. Okay. And uh, so we have been uh, getting some assistance. I, I had a lady contact me uh, today, and she said, I'd like to donate some, you know, I'd like to purchase some linens Good. for her. Fantastic. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll spot you on the linens, Good. okay, and things Good. like that. So New pillows, um, all kinds of things. And we need right. to fill up her cupboards with food. Yes. Get her through the winter with food. Right. And and just take care of her, Doc. Uh, you and Mia, will, will, I'm sure, will, you'll, you'll recognize everything that she needs. Absolutely. And, uh, look, if you'd like to be part of it, if you just, as your end-of-the-year donation to True News here in the closing weeks of 2023, we will take from the donations that come in, uh, and we will, we will pay for this woman to have a decent home to live in. And so whatever you donate, it's going to go into the general fund of True News. And then we will just take from those resources and buy whatever she needs so that she gets through the winter and she has a nice, secure home with no mold. She's got blankets. She has heat. Yes. She has food. And her life will be better because Christians all over America said we're going to contribute we're going to do something so rick when i was sharing with her pictures of the the new camper and everything she just started oh you showed it she just started crying you already showed it to her yeah so this is the new one and so this is the one we're purchasing and so uh, we finalized the transaction yesterday and so we're working on getting the title and everything for it right now uh so it's a much safer place for her she lives alone so she needs a safe dry warm place to live and uh, this has all the appliances already in it and everything the only thing we need to add to it is the things to make it livable on a day-to-day basis pots pans dishes linens those kinds of things and so uh, we'll be helping her make that transition next week so for those of you who already responded and have sent me messages and sent Rick messages regarding this, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for uh, giving toward this uh, very special project for this lady. She was so grateful. Uh, she said, I never knew there were people this kind in the world. Yeah, there are. There are a lot of people <laughs> this kind. There's a lot of so, us. There's a lot yeah. of us. We're, we're Christians. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, to contribute go to truenews.com at the upper right corner of our website there's a donate icon and then over on the upper left side is a heart choose one it will get you to the place where you can make a donation and uh, you can do that on the app or the website you can also call the phone number that's on the screen and if you aren't if you don't have a screen if you're listening to a radio 
That number is 800-576-2116, 800-576-2116. There are operators 24 hours a day, seven days a week, who will take your call and receive your donation. If you want to send a check or money order or precious metals, our new mailing address is Post Office Box 399. P.O. Box 399, Vero Beach, Florida, and the new zip code is 32961, 32961. Send the very best gift that you can send. You're going to feel very good about it. We'll have a good report next Friday as uh, Doc and Mia um, supervise the delivery of this new home to our sister in the Lord. And... um, you will be very, very glad that you participated in this, uh, Doc. Uh, I know we've got a, a, a we got a lot of other stories, and I, I I don't feel impressed at this moment because we're down to one minute here before we go into morning manna. By the way, uh, every Friday in morning manna we have the Lord's Supper. So, if you have never participated with us in Holy Communion then today is the day you'll have uh, approximately one hour to get uh, bread and your choice of grape juice or red wine. Have it available. In in about 45, 50 minutes, we'll have Holy Communion. You will be joining in with Christians all over the world. Today we had 20 nations. Yes, 20 nations. uh, Bahrain, the UAE, Belgium, just all over the world. Join in with your brothers and sisters around the world and partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, the the flesh and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Be one with the body of Christ. We'll see you later. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Let's pray. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, We pray to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for life, and we thank you for salvation through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us and is our guide, our comforter, our friend, our companion, our teacher. We invite the Holy Spirit to take charge of this morning manna Bible study. Teach us your word. Feed us manna today and make us stronger disciples for our King Jesus, for the glory of his kingdom. In his name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. And uh, as Rick said, we are in chapter 21 and we'll be finishing up today. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, let's open up to chapter 21, the book of Acts, and we'll begin reading at verse 33. I'm reading from the King James to the end of the chapter. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Some cried one 
thing, some another, among the multitudes. And when he could not know the certainty for the Talmud, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. When he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made an uproar and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs, and he beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, and then we go into chapter 22. All right. Verse 33. Then the commanding officer came near, arrested him, commanded him to be bound with two chains, and inquired who he was and what he had done. So the commanding officer was Claudius Lysias. Uh, he took immediate action to restore order and ensure the safety of individuals involved in the disturbance, including Paul. That was his primary duty as, a, as an officer of the Roman government, maintain law and order, and protect individuals. So Claudius Lysias arrived at the scene and took hold of Paul. And this action was, was motivated by a desire to restore public order and prevent Paul from being injured or killed by an angry mob. So Paul was bound with two chains which was a common Roman practice for restraining off uh, prisoners. Uh, these chains were likely fastened to his arms with each chain linked to a soldier. And uh, this method of restraint demonstrated uh, to the crowd that Paul was considered a criminal and right. would not be allowed to escape. So at this at this point, uh, the commanding officer, Claudius Lysias, he's treating Paul as a criminal. Right, as if he's the one that started all the riot and everything. Yes, but he also did it, Doc, for the purpose of calming the mob. Yes. He was, he was uh, sending a message. I'm going to, until I find out who he is and what he's done. Yes. And it was to calm down the mob and to help his, his troops regain control. So the troops could say, look, the, the commanding officer, he's put him in chains. You need to go back to your, your shops and your houses and calm down. We'll take care of this. Nothing to see here, folks. Move on, move on. Restoring order was his primary responsibility and his motivation. So then 
Lysias, after he took custody of Paul, sought to ascertain his identity and to understand the reason for the riot. And this inquiry was essential for determining whether Paul had committed any offenses in the eyes of Rome that warranted such a reaction from the crowd. Remember, the Roman officer was not bothered about Jewish religious customs. Right. He only cared about Roman law. But he had he had to deal with the Jews because he, he was placed there by Rome to, to govern them. But his his primary responsibility is to find out did did Paul break any Roman laws? So we see here the importance of gathering unbiased information before making judgments. And again, you have to commend the Romans that the Romans were not, they were not uh, barbarians. They had, they had an established governmental system and they had uh, their own rule of law. And they didn't just, they didn't just execute people at the spur of the moment. Right. The Romans had a system. They had a court system. And and so uh, this officer is doing what is expected of him by the Roman government. Beginning with verse 34. Some shouted one thing and some another among the crowd. When he couldn't find out the truth because of the noise, he commanded him to be brought into the barracks. We've got a chaotic scene. Um, this incident in the temple caused chaos, and you had different people within the crowd shouting various accusations, which only fueled the confusion and disorder. Right. Now, Lysias didn't ask the crowd. Yeah, he, he wasn't talking to the crowd. But the crowd wanted him to know. And the Jewish mob was not even in unison. You got one group shouting one accusation and another group shouting something else. Just like you know, over, so you can see. <laughs> Go ahead, Doc. I'm sorry. Uh, just like over in Acts chapter 19, they did the same thing at Ephesus. Right. You, you know, I can imagine uh, Claudius Lysias you know, his head going back and forth. This guy's shouting, he did this. And some over here saying, no, he, he's, he did this. And Lysias is going back and forth, looking at everybody going, you guys don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> Who am I supposed to believe? So Lysias faced a, a, a challenging situation as he attempted to understand the reason for the commotion and the noise and the conflicting reports made it impossible for him to determine the truth of the matter. And this inability to ascertain the truth due to conflicting reports 
again, underscores the significance of accurate information and reliable witnesses in legal and investigative processes. In response to the volatile situation and his inability to ascertain the facts, Lasias ordered that Paul be brought into the army barracks. And this decision closed doors without confusion. You know, at an accident, what do police officers do? They take the drivers to separate places. They separate the drivers. Right. Because you got multiple you dr multiple drivers and passengers shouting different things to the police officer. So he separates them. And he takes one driver over to the side and says, now tell me what happened. Then he goes and gets the other one and says, you tell me what happened. And so this is what Claudius Lasias did. He took Paul into the army barracks, shut the door to block out the, the shouts and cries of the mob, and then said, okay, now tell me, who are you and what did you do? What, what did you do that caused a crazy reaction? We get to verse 35. When he came to the stairs, he, now this is talking about Paul, when Paul came to the stairs, Paul was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. They had trouble getting Paul inside the barracks. Yes. Um, take note that our, our dear Dr. Luke made a point of telling us that this happened on a flight of stairs. The, the mention of specific locations, the, the stairs, the castle of Antonia, all of this adds authenticity to the narrative, and it helps us visualize the events as they unfolded that day. So, I, you know, I can get a picture. There's the soldiers, the soldiers have Paul. They're taking him up the stairs. And the crowd is trying to get their hands on him. And so the crowd gathered at the, at the stairs. And this has now become a violent, dangerous situation. And it, it once again shows us how often Paul faced threats of violence or actual violence throughout his ministry. And it also tells us the dangers that we face today in preaching the gospel. So the Roman soldiers, recognizing that the mob was getting out of control, they grabbed Paul and picked him up. They, they, you've got some young Roman soldiers who just said, looked at each other and said, 
Let's get him out of here. And they, they, they lifted Paul off his feet and they carried him up the stairs. Again, I, I can visualize this scene. Can you, can, you, can you imagine the expression on Paul's face? <laughs> the mob, up, yes. the Jews want to kill him and the Romans are trying to save him. And here's this man at this time, what, in his 50s, maybe early 60s at this point. And he's probably got a 25-year-old Roman soldier carrying him up the stairs. The Roman soldier is being more human than the Jews who want to kill him. Yes. And... This shows us how divine providence intervenes to protect God's people when they are preaching the gospel. And sometimes it comes at the hands of um, of people in the world. Yes. That's right. God used Roman soldiers to protect Paul's life. His God had to keep Paul alive because there was more work that he was to do before he left this world. Um, you know, I often make a joke, you know, I, Doc, you know, I, I'll say, uh, I, I'm staying active for God. I'm working day and night for the Lord because I want to keep my insurance policy premiums paid up. All right, because... When you're of no use to him, um, are, are you in divine protection? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Do, do the lazy I mean, deserve protection? <laughs> yeah. Do the lazy deserve protection? So I, I try to keep my insurance policy premiums paid. And, and I do it by being active, being outspoken, being faithful to the Lord. Verse 36, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. The Jews were trying to go up the stair steps. I mean, this is a, this is a totally chaotic scene. So the mob relentlessly pursued Paul. They, by this time, they are now demanding his death. When they cried out away with him, they were not saying, hey, carry him to the uh, city limits and kick him outside. No, when they said away with him, they were saying, we, let's kill him. And it's the same words that they uh, that the crowd said when Jesus was crucified. That's the right. The very same words: "Away with him! Away with him!" So, uh, so now Paul is being identified with the same words that were being used against Jesus. That's right. The cry of "Away with him!" foreshadows his martyrdom and his willingness 
to face persecution and death for the sake of the Christian faith. The mention of the same cry used against both Jesus and Paul draws a parallel between the experiences of early Christian leaders and Jesus. And it emphasizes the sacrificial nature of their ministry. Yes. And it still happens today. There are Christians who are being martyred today. Verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he asked the commanding officer, may I speak to you? And he, the commanding officer said, do you speak Greek or do you know Greek? So they arrive when he's, when they're ready to be brought into the barracks by the soldiers. Remember, the soldiers are carrying him. And, and so there's no indication here Paul is on his feet that he's walking. <laughs> For all we know, he's still up in the air being carried by some Roman soldiers. And because it says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, there's no indication that they had placed him down, back on the floor to walk. So, yeah, I get, you know, I can, it's almost humorous. Paul's being carried by some strong young Roman soldiers, and he looks at Claudius Lysias and says, may I speak to you? <laughs> Can I have a word with you, please? <laughs> and he said it in perfect Greek. So there was surprise by Claudius Lysias. He's taken back when Paul addresses him in Greek. And I can see Josiah is doing a double take. What? You, you speak Greek? And I think it indicates that he had preconceived notions about Paul, had no idea that Paul would speak Greek. And not only did Paul speak Greek, but he spoke fluent Greek. And the emphasis is on the quality of his Greek speaking ability. It's not the, the number of words that he spoke, but the the perfection of his pronunciation of Greek words. And here's why this is important. Greek was the official administrative language of Greco-Roman Egypt. And anybody who could not speak fluent Greek was labeled an illiterate by the Romans. Most likely, Paul spoke Greek better than Claudius Lysias. Right. And this is what Claudius Lysias immediately recognized. Paul did not speak Greek flavored by an accent from the local area. He did, he did not detect an Aramaic accent. Paul spoke eloquently because he was shaped by his upbringing in an Asian Greek-speaking city.
um, it's almost like the difference in English between Larry the Cable Guy and King Charles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they both speak English. Yeah, you wouldn't hear King Charles say, get her done. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that's why Lysias did this double take and just froze and said, you speak Greek? Then verse 38, he said, aren't you then the Egyptian who before these days stirred up to sedition and led out into the wilderness the 4,000 men of the assassins? Like, what is this all about? Lysias, Lysias mistakenly thought that Paul was an Egyptian and that he was a, a domestic terrorist. Right. Um, the, the Egyptian that he was referring to was a, a false prophet who had approximately 30,000 Jewish followers. And he, he went to the Mount of Olives during the rulership of Felix, and he claimed that he had the power to make the walls of Jerusalem fall down and that his, his disciples would overtake Jerusalem and conquer the Romans. Right. Uh, and Josephus brings all this out. John Mark is making that point. But yes, uh, Josephus has a, 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 a big article in his, uh, uh, in his annals that talk about yes. this particular incident of this guy. So That's right. It, it is historically accurate, according to Josephus. That's right. So Felix, who was the Roman governor, uh, chased this Egyptian out of Jerusalem and all of his uh, supporters. They were driven into the desert. Uh, this um, this Egyptian, whom Claudius Lysias mistakenly thought was Paul, uh, this Egyptian was the leader of a group known as the Sakari. And the Sakari were a, uh, a group of fanatical assassins who carried concealed daggers. Yes. I, I think they were called Sakai, Sakai. Yes, hence their name, the Sakari. So. And, and so they would, they operated in broad daylight within Jerusalem, and they, they assassinated Roman government officials and anybody, any Jew who they thought was a supporter of the Roman government or, a, 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 you know, a, uh, a spy for the Romans, a plant working. You know, they considered the Jews who worked with the Romans as traitors. So were they the Stern gang of their day? Yes. Yes. The Romans considered them terrorists. And they were. They they murdered people. Um, they were fanatical Jewish zealots who strongly imposed the Roman occupation of Judea. 
They attempted to expel the Romans and their supporters from Palestine. They wanted a Jewish state. And they were willing to kill anybody who opposed their Jewish state plan. Does that sound familiar? No, I, I can't think where I've heard that before, Rick. It's happening right in front of us this in 2023. Yes. So the, the Sakari carried small knives, daggers, and they kept them concealed in their clothing. And this is where we get the term cloak and dagger. Yes. Cloak and dagger came from the Sakari. And so at public gatherings, especially religious festivals, where there were large numbers of people in the city, the Sakari would move in and out and among the crowd and get close to a Roman and pull out the knife and and murder the Roman, quickly put the knife back in, and then move through the crowd and just disappear yeah. in the crowd. Yes. They blend into the crowd. The Sakari was one of the earliest known organized groups of cloak and assassins. They they predated by centuries the ancient order of assassins, and the Japanese ninja. And to this day in Latin America, the term Sicario means hitman. So Claudius Lysias, the Roman officer, <clears throat> briefly Imagine that he had captured a Sakari assassin. Or maybe even the leader himself. The leader, the leader himself. So verse 39 says, but Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ins insignificant city. I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. So Paul clarifies his identity by stating that he's a Jew from Tarsus. And he proudly informs Lysias, Tarsus is a pretty big city. <laughs> he was, Paul was proud of his hometown. I mean, look at what he said. No insignificant city. And surely, um, Claudius Lysias immediately knew about Tarsus, its reputation. And uh, despite being a Jew, he highlights that he's he's a citizen of a of a very important city. So he he underscores his heritage his connection to Tarsus. Uh, this highlights his ability to speak fluent Greek. And, and then he requests, he, he makes a polite, respectful request to speak to the Jewish mob. So we, we see a number of, of Paul's 
qualities here, uh, including the diplomatic way he he handled himself in a life-threatening situation. There's no no sign here that Paul is freaking out, having a nervous breakdown, right? Crying, saying, "Please hide me, get me out of here." No, he's saying, "Hey." Let me go outside and talk to these people who want to kill me. Right. <laughs> I mean, w- would you do that? If there was a mob outside that wanted to kill you and you had to be carried away by soldiers, would you then ask for permission to go talk to them? So verse 40, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, beckoned with his hand to the people, When there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Paul is bilingual. And it's significant here that, uh, 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 you know, the Kiliarch there, uh, Lysias, granted him license to speak. Mm -hmm. If if Lysias had been convinced that he was this Egyptian, there was no way he was going to let him speak. But the fact that uh, Lysias uh, is allowing him to speak, I think he recognized, well, Paul, he's from Tarsus. Tarsus is a, a free Roman city. It was kind of an independent uh, city. It's self-governing. Yes. But it was, a, a, you know, generally the people who lived in Tarsus were free. Yes. And they were Roman. And so I believe uh, Lysias recognized, without saying it out loud here in the scripture, recognized that he was a Roman citizen. And absolutely. Uh, so uh, otherwise, why would Lysias allow a criminal, uh, a straight out criminal to address the mob that's trying to kill him? That's right. You're absolutely right, Doc. Uh, the moment Paul spoke fluent Greek and identified his home city, Claudius Lysias instantly knew he was not the Egyptian assassin. And the, I think uh, Lysias was, I think he was immediately impressed with Paul. He, he knew this is an educated man. The way he carries himself, the way he speaks, his diplomacy, his wisdom, This is no ordinary man. And then, so so now Lysias says, okay, I'll give you permission to speak. One reason he did this is Lysias was thinking, well, I'm going to hear Paul's side of the story. I'm still gathering facts. So I'm going to hear his side of, you know, I'm going to hear the speech either privately or or him standing on the on the deck talking to the mob. I'm going to hear the same story. So let's do it. Let's go out there. But I don't think Messiah was expecting Paul to speak fluent Hebrew. And just And I think clear, yeah, and just to be clear that the Hebrew that it's mentioned there is not Hebrew had been dead for a couple hundred years as a language. So what was being spoken there was the the, uh, the common, you know, be like it'd be Aramaic. 
and so um, it, uh, you have an, it's the common language there. It's the language of the people. And yes. it, that's what it's saying there. Yes. But again, Lysias realized <clears throat> this man is, is bilingual. Yes. He speaks fluently in multiple languages. This man is not a criminal. He's an educated, wise man. And I, I think Lysias was admiring Paul as Paul stood on the deck of the steps of the barracks and spoke to the crowd. So this sets the stage for chapter 22, which we will begin on Monday as Paul delivers his speech and attempts to explain his actions and his beliefs to the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, but what we're seeing here is th in, in the book of Acts, we're seeing the, the end of Jerusalem. This is the transition. And Paul will move on from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem fades away in the book of Acts. And the focus now is on all of the Gentile nations of the world. We'll start on Monday. Right now, uh, it is time for the Lord's Supper. Amen. And so we welcome you to participate in the Lord's Supper. And uh, if you've got the elements of uh, communion, which include bread and either grape juice or red wine, uh, and uh, have that set aside for just a moment here, we'll pray the Lord's blessing upon that before we partake of the uh, elements of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we want to encourage you that if you're a confessing believer in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized in water in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, then you're welcome to participate in uh, this, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. And we consider this a, a, a holy event, and uh, we don't take it lightly, even though we do it on a regular basis and other congregations only do it every once in a while. Just because we do it on a regular basis does not mean we take it lightly. We take it very seriously. And uh, we recognize this as what binds us together as the body of Christ by participating in the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. It makes us part of the body of Christ. And so we invite you to participate in this, the Lord's Supper. But before we do that, we always want to make sure our hearts and minds are clear before the Lord and uh, that there's nothing that will stand between us and the Lord in participation of the Lord's Supper. And Rick, I'd be privileged if you pray for us right now and ask the Lord to search our hearts and yes. make sure that we're approaching this with pure hearts and pure minds today. Yes. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we come to you, Father, uh, with love and admiration and humility. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would search each of our hearts and reveal to us things that we said or thought or did or things that we did not do that displeased you in the past week. Uh, Father, we, we repent, which means that we change our thinking so that we can change our ways. Our desire is to be in right standing with you, to be pleasing to you.
to you to follow you in all your ways. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And having prayed uh, our uh, prayer of confession there, I'll ask for the Lord to bless the elements of communion. So if you have those with you right now, let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless the, uh, the uh, portions of the Lord's Supper. Almighty God, in your tender mercy, you gave your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. And he offered himself and made once for all time a perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He instituted this remembrance of his passion and death, which he commanded us to continue until he comes again. And so, Father, we ask you to bless and sanctify with your word and Holy Spirit these gifts of bread and wine that we may partake of his most blessed body and blood. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. And if the congregation will repeat after me, therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. Therefore, let us keep the feast. feast. Hallelujah. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. This is the bread of heaven. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. After supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Drink the cup of salvation in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world, and blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This sacrament is the gift of God for the people of God. Feed on him by faith with thanksgiving that Christ died for you. God bless you for participating in the Lord's Supper today. And I know for uh, a number of you, this may be the first time that you've participated in the Lord's Supper in a very long time. And uh, we we, uh, thank the Lord that you have the opportunity to participate in this. And it's an important part of our walk with uh, Christ. Christ made a very high priority of this for believers to participate in. So uh, we, we welcome the opportunity to be able to share with you today. Rick, we've had uh, folks from 20 countries today. Uh, and so uh, very excited about that. Uh, Belgium had checked in for the first time today. And so that was the uh, one. And uh, close to 400 people today. Uh, and we are just so privileged to be able to get together with you on a daily basis here uh, for this morning man of Bible study, 8 a.m., Eastern Time, live here on the East Coast every weekday. So um, don't forget to also tune in to uh, True News at 12 noon Eastern Time on here on Faith and Values, also on truenews.com, 
on WWCR International Shortwave and other social media platforms out there where you can watch us live and you can watch the archives of True News and, of course, Morning Manna right here on Faith and Values as well. Well, we have a big day ahead of us here today, and so we have to get prepared for that. Any final words uh, today, Rick, before we sign off for this edition of Morning Manna? Yes. Um, we, we call this Bible study Morning Manna because manna was the bread from heaven that God sent to the Hebrews in the wilderness. And um, he fed them for 40 years with manna. We get to uh, John chapter 6, verses 51 through 56. Jesus said, I am the living bread yes. which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Yes. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. That's the significance of the Lord's Supper. What we just did was fulfillment of John 6, 51 through, 50, 51 through 56. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that's what you just did. Whoever does this has eternal life. And Jesus said, I promise to raise him or her up on the last day, the day of the Lord, the final day. And he said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am in you. That's the promise you have for today. And, and this is why we, we have the Lord's Supper. And even when he said that, Rick, some of the disciples there were offended by his saying. Oh, yes. Some people can't handle that. Can't handle they walked that. away. They yeah. walked away. They, they, they walked away from Jesus for saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. But Jesus said, you will be in me and I will be in you. You... I, I can't explain how this process works, how red wine or juice and bread become the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's a mystery. It's, it's a holy mystery. I just know that Jesus is in the Lord's Supper and that the moment you put his, the bread and wine in your mouth, Jesus blessed it. And in his 
mine. You just ate his flesh and drank his blood because you obeyed his word. Your faith is what made it the flesh and the blood. He, in, in the mind of Jesus, he, he identified the bread and the wine as flesh and blood. It's not up to us to figure out how that's done. It's for us to just believe it and receive it. Right. And, and be at peace with it. I don't know why people argue about it. It's an, it's an awesome promise. If you, ha- if you participate in the Lord's Supper, Jesus remains in you and you in him. And you have a promise of eternal life on the day of judgment. When he comes back, you will be raised up. You will come out of your grave when he comes back. That's it for me, Doc. That's all. All right. Well, Rick, we appreciate you. And uh, uh, a couple of people were asking about our friend in Ohio that we're going to be taking care of. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, uh, be listening today on True News. We'll tell you a little bit more about that today. Uh, but uh, yes, we're going to be helping her out. So uh, those of you that heard about that yesterday, we want to ask you to continue to pray about the situation that everything uh, comes together. And so, but we'll have more information today on uh, True News about that. So, all right. Well, we want everyone to have a blessed weekend. Be sure to spend some time with the Lord this weekend. Get quiet before him, uh, quiet enough where he can speak to you. <laughs> Sometimes we're not quiet enough to uh uh, let the Lord uh, speak to us. So be willing to hear as well. Uh, so spend some time this weekend getting alone with the Father and and uh, let him uh, speak to your heart and tell you some things that maybe you didn't know before. So, And then you can join us again on Monday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time here for the next edition of Morning Man as we get into Acts chapter 22. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next edition of Morning Man. All right, love you. See you later today. Have a great weekend. I want to encourage you this weekend, set aside time to be alone with your Heavenly Father. Make it a uh, an appointment every weekend. You should every day. But on the weekends, find a time that's just for you and Him. And be alone, be quiet, get your Bible, uh, let the Holy Spirit direct you in reading the Word of God. Just talk to your dad. Yes. Just talk to him. You don't have to do some big, super-duper religious prayer. Just talk to your Father. He is your dad in heaven, and he desires to have a conversation with you. And it's amazing what he will reveal to you. Just be quiet, be still, and listen to him. I can tell you, Doc, for me, often when I hear the Lord the most is very early morning hours when I first wake up because Isn't that true? the noise of the world has not set in yet. Yes. You come out of a sleep and you have not turned on the noise of the world. And, and that's the, a moment for the Lord to speak to you. And in the evenings, it's hard to turn the noise off yes. that, that you've been accumulating throughout the day. It takes a while, right. at least for me. That's right. But so, yeah, mornings are a perfect opportunity for that. We, right? we live in a high-tech society that produces noise. And that noise is a distraction from you and your Heavenly Father. You have to turn it off 
and you have to set aside time to be with him and to listen to him. If you're unwilling to do it, he's not going to speak. It's just that simple. He's not going to speak over the noise. So turn off the noise and let him know that you desire to hear his voice. And he will speak to you about the most pressing needs in your life. We love you. See you on Monday. God bless. listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.